got a real love for grass. Uncovering the most amazing stories from the most talented innovators and creators in marketing tech and digital, this is the Wonderful People Podcast. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Wonderful People Podcast with me, Dan Mordub, founder of Wonderful Creative. And me, Phil Jones, the founder of The Podge Lunches and Dan's sidekick, Dan's mentor and even his tea boy at the Wonderful Agency. The modern day Batman and Robin. Anyhow, Phil and I soon realised that after a few Zoom calls and months of lockdown, that our conversation was running a bit dry. So we decided to actually not just catch up with each other, but catch up with some brilliant, wonderful people from all walks of life, creative to tech, sports to music, and everything in between, so we could find out a little bit more about their incredible stories and be a bit more connected during this crazy time we find ourselves in. Before we get into it, tell me a little bit about how has your week been? What's excited you this week? Dan, this is, um, I feel quite sad telling you this, but the most exciting thing that's happened to me this week is the Ocado delivery. Did you know <laughs> that every one of those Ocado vans, that when they're telling you your delivery's on time, they tell you it's Liam who's driving an apple, or Simon in a cabbage, or Mark in an onion. They're all branded with a different vegetable. So I get quite excited now, looking forward to seeing what I'm going to get. And I think today's delivery is a tomato. (laughs) (laughs) How how life has changed for you, Mr. Jones. You you would not have said that six months ago in the Groucho Club, would you? Not in a million years. (laughs) I didn't even know that this existed until Babs started to say to me, oh, watch watch out for the onion. (laughs) <laughs> or watch out for the raspberry and I'll be, what's she on about <laughs> has she lost the plot yeah no brilliant absolutely brilliant so I'm gonna hand over to Mr Jones himself and my introduction today is Jeff Conan who's managing director of one of the most famous clubs in the world the Soho's Groucho Club um, I've been a member for 25 years and I've known Jeff probably for 20 of those years so only Dan and I can see Jeff. I can tell you he's looking really stylish, as you'd expect someone from the Groucho Club to be. A really snappy dresser. Puts Dan and I to shame. Dan's got his slippers on. And uh, I've got a T-shirt that my wife bought me about 10 years ago. We thought it'd be good to catch up with Jeff, find out more about the creative industry's favourite watering hole and how he's seen the club change over the last few years, how he's been running the show, and how his members have been doing during lockdown. He's definitely a wonderful person, so welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Nice to be here. Great. So, Jeff, first question we ask all of our guests. If you were to be stuck in a lift with someone, anyone in the world, who would it be and why? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, trying to think about this and... uh, you know, the first person that came to mind was Lauren, my fiance. I managed to get through um, through lockdown three months and, and still happy to be stuck in the lifts. So that might be an answer, but I think probably more likely would be two things, two of my sort of loves, and that would be football and management. And that would lead me to Arsene Wenger, who I hope everyone would know is like, you know, a legend at Arsenal Football Club and, and it, probably one of the greatest managers of all time. And, you know, I, I actually at one of Podge's, um, I met David Dean and had, a, had about 20 minutes with him and spoke to him about um, sort of his experiences with Arsene and the fact that 
Um, he actually brought Arsenal into Arsenal and, um, you know, it's really interesting to hear sort of his style of management. And, um, you know, I think David told me a story about one time because David didn't really go into the dressing room at all. Like he kept that very separate, but he did ask Sol Campbell once what um, Arsenal was like in the dressing room. And, and Sol said, look, he, he was very quiet. You know, he didn't really have a lot to say. Apparently one game they were playing against Chelsea and they were getting beaten and you know at halftime Arsene really didn't say anything and then came over to Seoul just before they went out and said you've got to you've got to stay close to Drogba just stick close to the Drogba that was all he said in the in the 15 minutes then Seoul went out and stuck close to the Drogba and they won the match in the sort of 2-1 or 3-2 or whatever they came back and won it so you know, just interesting to see, like, you know, what a what a manage, manager can do and um, how sometimes it's not about lots of things, it's just about small things, small adjustments. So, you know, I'd love to get stuck in a lift with Arsene Wenger. Good answer. Oh. I think that's the best answer we've had so far. That's a good, good Arsenal <laughs> fan. I can see it's going to be a good podcast episode already. I know. <laughs> Dan did try and insist that we only had Arsenal fans as our guests and <laughs> narrowed, narrowed down the field a bit. Um, David Dean actually he he did a talk for us for at the Groucho Club um I don't know if you sat in on that Jeff I missed that one I did miss it yeah it was lunch wasn't it just brilliant and he he actually held up a pencil and asked one of the people one of the guests at the Groucho to to break the pencil in half uh, which they did and then he held up a, a bunch of pencils and gave that to someone and said, now, now break that in half. And, and the guy couldn't break it. And he was emphasizing that a, bet, a good team is better than a good individual. And if you're really solid, as Arsenal always used to be, certainly yeah. in the old days, but if you're a solid team, yeah. no one's going to beat you. They can't break you. If, you're, if you rely on just one amazing individual, uh, you know, you're beatable. So that was my Groucho takeout, by the way. <laughs> um, great. I'm going to start my questions with, you're a cricket lover, even more than football, really, aren't you? So cricket and football. But as, a, as an Aussie, I think you came over here because of cricket. Can you tell us the story of how you arrived and, and what happened to your cricket career? Yeah, so I was actually, I was an architect in Sydney, working, um, studying to be an architect. Architecture is a, a really like quite a long old slog. It's a seven year course. And, um, you know, the cricket season would come every year and my studies would sort of take a back seat. And I think the seven year course turned into a, like a 10 year course. Um, but, you know, cricket was always my love. And, you know, I, I was sort of fit, I was playing cricket with, um, Eastern suburbs in in second grade in Sydney, so it's fairly high standard. You know, my teammate at the time was David Warner. David Warner at the time was like a 15 year old leg spinner who then became, you know, the the vice captain of Australia. You know, incredibly successful um, batsman, but also <laughs> quite a controversial figure. In fact, like involved in all the the scandals in terms of the the ball tampering etc etc but you know at the time I was playing with David and actually he he was not controversial at the time but he actually did end up giving me um 
I, I basically stitches in my right eye. So I was playing um, cricket with him and we were actually doing some training in the nets and he smashed the ball so hard that it went through the net into my face and detached my retina and I ended up with like six stitches in my oh, in my nice. eye. So that was the early years of me playing cricket with David Warner. Um, but yeah, so through that um, through that club, I actually got approached by somebody who was actually on holiday in Sydney. So an Englishman who was having a holiday in Sydney and asked me, would I like to come and play as a professional in his team in Northamptonshire? Um, at this, you know, I'd never really thought about traveling to England, but, you know, I just thought it was just too good an opportunity to take up. So, you know, season ended and packed up my bags, I told my architecture firm that I'll be back in four or five months after the season finished and headed off to England. Landed in Northamptonshire and didn't realize how small a village is when, you know, I, I don't think we have villages in Australia. And, you know, I thought a village would be a town. But when I got to this village, it was, you know, one shop, one telephone booth, five pubs. Um, and so I, I sort of played cricket for this this little village in Northampton, actually famous for making Doc Martens shoes, like it's called Bulliston. So apart from having, you know, one shop and five pubs that had the factory that made, you know, the world famous Doc Martens. So that was probably the only thing that would be memorable about this little village. But I played, you know, as I say, for a few months with them and I was coaching local teams and I was working in the local pub there. So I'd done a little bit of bio work, making pizzas and pouring pints, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I had never, when I, you know, in my head, when I thought about traveling to England, I imagined London and parties and you know bars and restaurants and all that kind of stuff so I said to my captain look you know I've got two or three um, months left of my season I'm going to move to London and I'll commute back up back up on the weekends for for the games and found a job in London and it just so happened that um, the bar that I started working in was the Gracha Club and um, you know it was quite an incredible place and you know my, one of my first memories working there was um, a night where there was a blackout and we were really trying to limit the amount of people that were coming into the building we were writing down all the orders on pieces of paper and trying to work out how much they cost at the end of the of the night and as I sort of made drinks across the bar and I looked through candlelight I saw some people singing around the piano and made out that I had Bono Tom Jones and Jules Holland all singing together, literally like requesting songs of each other. And everybody else that sat um, in the bar, they, they paid no attention. They were not interested at all um, in who was playing the piano. And I thought, wow, this place is something special and I'm quite lucky to be working here. So yeah, that's my sort of journey to um, from cricket in Australia to working at the Grouch Club in London. Are all your family still in Australia? Yeah, so everyone, everyone's still there. Um, my parents have been out a few times a visit. Um, and, you know, I was meant to be getting married in um, June, sorry, June in lockdown. So we've had to postpone that. So hopefully when things go back to normal, we'll get some more of them out for my wedding next year. Let's fingers crossed that things all return to normal. <laughs> oh, where yeah. were you thinking of getting married? Well, we were getting married in a place called Ashridge House, which is up in Berkhamsted. So beautiful. We both um, love castles, and this is a, a really stunning castle. Like, well, not castle, but building that King Henry VIII 
it was like his shooting lodge. Beautiful building up there with incredible grounds. Um, but they're actually now booked out for the next 24 months, so we won't be doing it there. <laughs> so I, we've decided actually we're going to do it here at the club. Um, you know, we both met here. Lauren was actually um, worked on reception when I met her, and so a lot of our friends and family are from, well, not family, but Groucho is a family, so everyone, yes. my family in the UK is Groucho Club, and therefore having we'll have the drinks and we'll have the the, the breakfast and the drinks at that at the club and get married in the church so oh that sounds really cool and see what what a great venue though to get married yeah um well, speaking of the groucho the groucho was always a pioneer amongst members clubs and it it changed the stuffy gentleman's club idea and i, and I believe that the, the original setup was to encourage more women to be involved can you take us back in time to when it started and and what you know of the history of the Groucho and how things have changed since sure yeah I mean the Groucho Club was absolutely um well created by some women um in publishing so they had looked around and and wanted to have meetings and dinners and all these kind of things that you know that they would prefer not to have in in a restaurant or a cafe they wanted somewhere they could be privately um, and, and they could go about their business. So those sort of four women got together, actually two women, Liz Calder and Carmen Cahill, got together with a couple of other people and got in touch with a guy called Tony McIntosh. Tony McIntosh had been running clubs in um, London and was also sort of part of the um, chocolate industry and, and sort of made some money in that industry. And they got together and decided to create a club where men and women would be allowed, would be welcome um, equally. And I think the key to it is that everyone could be, um, would be made welcome there. And I think even though initially it was for publishing, so, you know, the initial um, intake was about publishing, you know, the, the key to it was that they would also accept people who may not be um, accepted into these stuffy gentlemen's clubs. And, you know, there were quite a few members early on that would never be considered as a member for, as I say, these, these men's gentlemen's clubs, but were perfect for Groucho. So, and I think not only was it like a, it, men and women were equal, but everybody was equal. And I think that's something that I really took from it as well, because as long as you were a member and there, and also, you know, you came as a guest of a member, then everyone got treated the same. And, you know, that was for me quite incredible to see as well, because, you know, even that first story I tell, like you've got Bono, Jules Holland and Tom Jones singing at the piano. Nobody cared. Nobody bothered them. Nobody wanted to, to deal with them. They were left mm -hmm. alone. And, you know, from the beginning, like I'd see that happen on a day to day basis. Like there is no VIP here everybody's the same. So whether you're at the top of your career or you're on your way up, you know, or, you know, and you may be on your way down, like you're, you know, as soon as you're a member, you're just part of the family. And I also say that to the staff that join because, you know, members don't treat you as staff. They treat you as, again, part of the family. So it is definitely a different place to work and definitely a different place to be a member. I don't think there's any other place that does have that sort of balance of, everybody's equal you know you, you all you need to be is somebody that um joins and you know the, the committee is quite tough you know we have it is a uh, full of um you know since the publishing days it's really opened its arms up to everybody in the creative industry so you know hence you know why i've been to quite a few of the podges so 
the design podge and the digital podge, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, we, we are very open to all of the creative industries. Um, but, you know, on committee, like one of the things that even though we might look at your career and see where you've been and we'll also look at your proposal and your seconder and what they say about you, the most important thing, I think, which really makes the difference is they ask the question, would you like to sit at the bar with this person? Um, and that is the the final sort of, if you don't make it through that, then you don't become a member. And it means that everybody that's a member, you would like to sit down and have a drink with them at the bar. So I think that is one of the real key factors of why Grouch has been successful because it's full of people that you want to sit next to the bar to. So, yeah, I think that's been the key. Oh, that's just ruled out, Dan. <laughs> well, you got there just before me. Uh, <laughs> that one up. Dan, I was I was so up for recommending you, but yeah, <laughs> it's thought that all you'll talk about for the whole drinking session is Arsenal. So, well, if Jeff was there, my yeah. <laughs> I'd say the only thing you might be get lucky with right now, you're not allowed to sit at the bar, so that we might get in through that because the COVID restrictions at the moment mean that we can't have anyone sitting at the bar, so. Oh, there we go. There's my only chance. <laughs> uh, COVID restrictions. I mean, my goodness. Mm. So where, where do we start with this one? So you're in the sector that's been hardest hit. Yeah. And you're right in the, the heart of Soho. Your members, are quite a lot of the time, are people that are coming in from other places. In, into you know they're not working necessarily in that area are they they're coming from all over and so tell us a little bit about how you have been coping with the whole covid scenario and where do, where do you start yeah well it's you know it's um definitely something that nobody expected to be dealing with and we had to learn some lessons very quickly you know through lockdown we firstly had incredible support from members like i was you know again so not not surprised but really felt great about just the wonderful emails and, and calls I was getting from all of our members and you know really everyone just wanted us to get through and we're very concerned that the staff were okay and all that kind of stuff and and you know it was just great to have firstly that support behind us then as a sort of small team you know we, we've had quite a, a large team on furlough you know once that furlough came in then we were able to use that but you know we we used the small team that we had working to create like a, quite a large um, number of online events and you know they ranged from yoga to hit classes to quizzes to meditations all sorts of things that maybe in 1985 when Tony McIntosh opened the club probably thought this would never happen at the club <laughs> um, but it was incredible like to see how many people really really got into the online stuff and you know particularly things like the quiz the quizzes we had three a week um naomi fawcett who's my general manager she she just did an incredible job through the closure period and, and ran all these things including not only like running them as a host but like writing all the questions beforehand but you know what we learned is that actually in 2020 some people actually prefer communicating um digitally and you know over the years even in my time you know 17 years at groucho i've seen people who would normally come up to somebody at the bar and have a chat to them, maybe over the years find that less um, sort of normal and much easier to talk on Zoom. So we saw, you know, on those digital quizzes that there were friends being made every single night. And, you know, what would start obviously 
quietly would become after two or three hours of questions and drinks become like incredible fun and it was almost like being in the Grouch Club itself and so you know we we what we learned from that is actually Groucho needs to be in Groucho and we're so glad to be back and we've been reopened now for almost three months but what we also realize is we have a huge amount of members who they're not they can't come every night and if they did would have a problem because we've got way too many members to to have on a on a daily basis but we do need to keep on keeping everyone involved and those digital um sort of uh, outreach that you know the quizzes or the you know the hit classes etc etc just are something that somebody who is craving the groucho but can't make it finds so brilliant to be a part of so and i think from the from the closure side of things, the the digital was brilliant, and it really did. And I've had lots of members, you know, who who are members of other clubs, um, sort of tell me that we really did sort of have the best, not 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 only the best, but like the the most to, to genuine to us. So we really did come across in a gracho way. Um, and I think you know that again, you know, all thanks to Naomi who really did run the club by herself in that from a digital side for yeah the three months before we were closed and I suppose going on to reopening the club we came in through the closure period like trying to work out the the two meter rule and then you know that was going to be difficult and you know it would have been a very <laughs> different club with two meters and then you know just before we opened we made we got the one meter plus and that actually um started to make the club feel not too much different than what it already was like we don't we don't squash everyone in any way in the first place you know people want privacy so there weren't too many changes to make in terms of layout but it has just been the fact that there still aren't as many people coming into central london right now you know people aren't as confident as they um have been in the past or you know there's other parts where there's not there's offices closed in Soho, um, so they're not coming in for their lunches or after work drinks. But we have also seen over the last three, four weeks that really improve. And, you know, there's some Thursdays, Fridays, Wednesday nights that you could probably imagine that nothing was changed. You know, the the business is coming back, but it has been incredibly difficult. And, you know, without our membership base, it would have been even harder. Yeah, you mentioned Naomi there. Yeah. And Naomi is your general manager of the club but on your senior team I, I think there always seems to be a, a predominance of women you know amongst them so who, who yeah. are the senior team at the moment yeah well actually you're right they're they're all women actually like all of my club managers are women so Naomi Fawcett who is the general manager she actually started when I was a bar manager she was my waitress um this was 10 years ago one of my waitresses and Aga um everyone who knows Groucho probably knows Aga Aga is our club manager she started at the same time as me 17 years ago as well as, as a housekeeper so she's worked her way up from housekeeping to um, club manager. And then you've got Rosa and Sam, Rosa Capozzi and Sam Neary, both club managers as well. So the senior sort of heads of the club are all women. Um, yeah. and, and that has been, you know, the case all, not all along, but go back through the June McCluskeys to the Mary Lou Sturridges. I nice always June. Yeah. June. June was always my favourite back in the day. Yeah. I think Before I got was... to know you. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, well, actually, June got invited to a few podges, I think. And yeah, she did. Yeah. yeah. So. She was great. But 
Tell me about the, the other club manager that's no longer with us. Well, Bernie, you've actually named a bar, the bar at the club after him. Tell yeah. us a little bit about Bernie and how he would have got on in this technology-based world. <laughs> yeah, so Bernie is uh, Bernie Katz, the, the guy you're talking about. For me, like, you know, when I started, we had Gene, you know, as you say, so affectionately, such a huge part of the club. And there were two other managers, Ken Olsen and Bernie Katz, who were sort of, for me, you know, I always thought of them as the holy trinity of Groucho. You know, they were the three people that sort of, if, if, you, if you remember, you know, those three people would look after you and, and, and know everything about you and always knew that they were going to be the, the people to, to go to and ask anything you needed to be sorted. And I suppose Bernie, and they all had different characters, but Bernie was definitely the most sort of enigmatic, the, the most um, mad, crazy, but also like somebody who would never let you down, who would do anything for you and, you know, quite often would, um, you know, set people's careers up or put people together. You know, so I, I met him like, you know, in the early years as as a receptionist and then he made his transition into management as well. And, you know, there were some crazy nights, you know, when Bernie first became a manager, Friday nights was called Bernie's night only because he was sort of the manager that night. And every other night was very different than Bernie's night because Bernie <laughs> had, a had a different type of managing. And, um, you know, I think that seemed to be a whole lot more members that night than any other night. Um, but it was it was brilliant. And um you know, me and Bernie had, like, incredible times. Are you enjoying our podcast? Remember to subscribe, share, and leave us a review. Like, incredible times. We did some pop-ups, and one of the pop-ups we did was in Ibiza, and Bernie managed somehow to convince our manager at the time that before this pop-up that was happening in a few months, that both him and, and myself would need to go out to Ibiza almost every weekend just to talk about the club to people and <laughs> give them a bit of an understanding of what was going to happen in the next few months. So we, I think we went on at least four or five trips to Ibiza, just me and him, like for three or four days at a time, <laughs> just going around, going around the, you know, the island telling, well, telling people that we're coming and, but mainly just having a lovely time together and telling people about Groucho. So you know, that that was incredible. We also did some other little pop-ups together, like in LA, where you know we managed to get a um, we got a convertible, which was great um, driving around. But Bernie wanted to have the top up because it was like messing up his hair. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm six foot four, so you could imagine me trying to drive a a convertible, you know, with the top down. Like I could hardly get my head in the car. So, Bernie, he for me was the sort of the heart of the club you know he was so passionate so much fun you know whenever Bernie was there the club was alive and was, sadly he passed away like about three years ago now and um and it was a really super sad day um and I was actually on holiday in Thailand and got a call on a beach in Thailand and I just couldn't believe it actually came back for the funeral and you know that probably in my mind is one of the most um incredible days you know I Firstly, like, you know, you know how many members know Bernie, but then you start to realise how many people in Soho knew Bernie. And, you know, Bernie actually was named the Prince of Soho by Stephen Fry. Um, in fact, there was one story Bernie told me that um, I think Camilla Parker Bowles was up the road and, and wanted to meet the Prince of Soho. But, I mean, I'm sure she did. Bernie was very good friends with Tom Parker Bowles, so... But, you know, Bernie was definitely Prince of Soho. He knew everybody. 
you know, for his funeral, I, I feel like there were probably 20,000 people in the streets of Soho and the procession that started in Soho Square and then did sort of a loop down, um, you know, Frith Street and then back up Dean Street. When I got back to Soho Square, I could still see people leaving on the on the loop. So, you know, it was enough people to fill all the streets up all wow. the way around. So, yeah, it was incredible to see so much love for somebody. And, and he gave that love, you know, that to all those people, you know, that's so much love to give. Amazing. So Bernie, Bernie was club manager and you were general manager. Yeah. Then. And uh, in recent years, you've been promoted to managing director of the Groucho Club. So what, tell, tell us about the extra responsibilities, yeah. not to mention just throwing in lockdown is just like <laughs> another issue to deal yeah. with. But tell us about that transition from being... Yeah. Uh, one of the team and then general manager and then becoming MD. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been, a, it has been a journey because, you know, my first days at Croucher was a bartender and then I did quickly move into the biomanagement side of things and, and, and really stayed there for five or six years. And I was aching to do something else and, and made my way up to general manager. And in, in terms of general manager, I was again, general manager for probably 10 years. Um, and I did learn, I learned everything about not only hospitality, but I also learned, you know, everything you could possibly learn about the Groucho Club from a, you know, from an operational point of view, from also getting to know members, et cetera, et cetera. But the step up to MD obviously is slightly different because I now am the person to point in the direction of the club. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's different. It's maybe not as much hands-on, but it's a lot more thinking about the future and, you know, luckily or unluckily for me, I've been throwing some big ones and COVID was um, a huge one to deal with. And, you know, I, I learned a lot, you know, in those first few months of um, lockdown, I'm still learning. Um, and and it's different times. I don't think any manager, you know, any managing director of the club would have had these kind of things to deal with. Um, and that's why, you know, you look to people like Arsene Wenger or, you know, great managers and you think about their calmness, about their sort of, you know, their direction, you know, I think it's important that, you know, in these times that, you know, you have to stay calm, but you have to be very, you know, considered in your approach. And also you need to like motivate, you know, you need to motivate your team below you. You need to make them feel comfortable and confident that everything's okay. And, you know, I have been extremely lucky to have great support from them as well. So, but yeah, you know, for me, managing director is what I love, you know, I'm enjoying it. I mean, I'm enjoying the fact that anything's possible as managing director, you know, it's really down to me to set the direction of the club. And, you know, I think we've got such an incredible club. It could do almost anything we wanted it to do, but you, you need to make the right decisions about what is right for the club and, and what the club wants, I suppose. Well, I've, I've been a member since the mid nineties. So probably um, 23 years or something, something like that. But, there was a noticeable change in the in the vibe at the club when you became MD. The the team around you, the, you mentioned all their names, but they they all seemed to have more of a lift. And the way that they, they were always welcoming, but it was there was an extra factor that just wasn't there for a while. And I think that it was a, I think the club did well in actually appointing from within, which it sounds like they've always done sounds like everybody that's been with the club for years has 
has moved up, but to to have the MD as someone who's come right through the club, I think is is brilliant. So yeah. congratulations. Thank you. And it, it has been, you know, like I've had conversations with my team over the last few months and, you know, I can, I can stand there in front of them and they know that I've been there doing their job and they understand that I, I know how they're feeling right now. So it, it does make a big difference. And I think as well, Groucho is a very different business and, you know, it is about membership and it's about knowing people and it's about giving them very much a different type of um, club than any other club. And, it, you know, for us, like, for us to be successful, we all have to be happy. So, you know, one of my main jobs is to get my team to be happy and enjoying their jobs. And and the second thing is we all need to stay here because for us, you know, we want to know our members intimately. And if we're constantly moving on, then we'll never get to know them. So it is for me, it's not a club, it's a family in a way. Families shouldn't ever really break up, should they? They should be together. <laughs> I agree. And Dan, this, uh, this whole theme that we're doing is about wonderful people. Absolutely. You've got a, a question to throw into Jeff here on the term wonderful. Yeah, that's right. I mean, no, no, particularly in reference, we've spoken quite a bit about the pandemic and obviously it impacted your own wedding day, which is like a big thing Yeah. You know, in every way. But, you know, one of the things we try and look at in these podcasts is look back at things that are wonderful. Mm. You know, parts of our life and parts of, you know, um, you know, our experiences that you go, do you know what? That was wonderful. That was mm. a golden moment. Mm. What, what would you say? Can you remember back to the last thing that you saw, you experienced, where you thought, that's wonderful? Yeah. I mean, it actually has to do with the pandemic. <laughs> um, but, you know, we obviously all went into lockdown and we all got locked up and sort of not really seeing anyone. Um, and we all really didn't know where the world was heading and how long we were going to be doing this for and were we going to become ill, you know, how, if we were ill, how sick would we get, et cetera, et cetera. It was... It was tough times. There were lots of decisions to make from a Groucho's perspective. And all of these were being done from within my house. But on a Thursday night in sort of probably March, I, I heard some noise going on. And we went outside and we found everyone clapping on their doorsteps and, and realized it was for the NHS. And, you know, I actually, I think I cried. I was, you know, I was so overwhelmed because firstly, you know, we all... I think everyone felt like, you know, firstly, it was quite stressful times. And also we were all worried about our health and how we were going to be. But then we could imagine all these NHS workers going into these really, like at the time we thought very dangerous, you know, conditions to work on people and try to make them well again. And then to have people that you don't really know very well, all standing on their doorstep, like, you know, clapping, you know, and and just sort of also from a distance like acknowledging each other because they haven't even been able to acknowledge anyone for the last few weeks um and that happening on a you know on a thursday for the next two or three months you know those first one or two were just really inspirational for me i just i couldn't believe that you know and and everywhere was doing it but you know it did bring me close to tears and you know i, I did think that's incredibly wonderful that that's happened that's yeah. a great answer there's a great answer. And I think it's been such a such a stressful time for all involved. And it kind of links me to my next question, which is my last one. But, you know, as an agency, you know, we always try to take our clients' complex problems, uh, technology, digital, creative, and it's all one big mash sometimes. And we try and give them a simple solution. We try and say, look, this is the way forward. If you could think about one thing 
that you've seen or in your life that you think, do you know what, that's a bit complex. I wish that could be made simpler. Mm. What would it be? Well, it's going to be a, it's going to be another lockdown one. But you know, I spent a lot of time in my garden um, during lockdown, and and I sort of start this as well. I was a cricketer, so I've got a real love for grass. And I looked into my backyard, and and I saw a, a sort of scene that I didn't think was good enough. So, you know, I thought I've got a few months here. I'm going to grow this grass better than it's ever been before, and it's going to be you know, like a cricket pitch, perfect grass. And I started, it was spring, so I started aerating it and then I started to scarify it and then I brought some topsoil in and put some topsoil down and then seeded it. And then I, because I was at home, you know, all the time, I was watering it anytime I saw it like slightly dry out and I, I was just so into this grass and I was literally watching like the grass grow. Like, like that's how much I was, you know, getting into this grass growing and then it, it eventually grew and I realized that some parts hadn't grown as well as others. And then, so it's been like four or five months of continual, like adding more fertilizer, putting more seed in, da, da, da. but recently, 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 it's almost there. And it's looking as good as I think it will this this um, season. If you could simplify something, I would say, apart from I don't think buying turf is the right solution to that. But, you know, I'd love to find a better way of growing beautiful grass in my backyard. Here we go. Spoken like a true cricketer. <laughs> I thought you were going to end the story with, and now I've got AstroTurf. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, I have to tell you, because Babs and I came back yesterday from Portugal, and the first thing we noticed is how long our grass was. The, the oh, really? Long. Yeah. I mean, really, really long. And this morning at half past seven, I was out there with the mower, but at half seven in the morning, there's dew on the grass. So the mower wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. touch it, yeah. churning up. So yeah. I was there with a pair of shears at 7.30 this morning cutting the grass. So I'm, I'm with you there, mate. That is, if there was a yeah. simple way yeah. of dealing with the grass, I'd be very happy. Well, I mean, you know, just on the on the AstroTurf. So I have had that before in a previous house, and I was so, right. like, I was so into making sure that was perfect. I actually was out there vacuuming it. So it would be like <laughs> So yeah. I think I've got a bit of an obsession about perfectly green grass. Um, I'm not sure if this is like your cricketing nature or like your leadership nature where everything's yeah. perfect. Now, exactly. wasn't, it, wasn't it Tom Jones who sang the green, green grass of home? Was that That's right. <laughs> uh, I've got one last question for you, Fine. Jeff, and it's uh, the, the Groucho Club went through a few years ago, was hoping to open up in New York City. And I don't know how far down the line you got and how close that was, but what do you have global ambitions for the Groucho Club and... Yeah. Can you share them with us? Yeah, we got really close probably three years ago. We were very close. We actually, I went out to a couple of licensing meetings with the neighborhood. So in New York, you, you to get a license, you actually have to speak to a neighborhood committee who just decide on your application. And if that application had been successful, we, I, I may have been talking to you from New York. Um, but that application didn't go through. And unfortunately, there'd been a members club in the same area who had just got permission a week earlier and their, their answer to us at the time was that there had been one already granted so therefore they weren't going to grant another one so that's how close it got and obviously you know the last couple of years we've looked at different options in new york and and sometimes in la and other other cities in in the us 
But for me, more more recently, obviously, the pandemic has changed things a little bit short term. So we need to get through the pandemic and and sort of the after effects of that. But I think probably the place we'll land in the in the short to medium term will be something more attached to our club in Soho, or you know potentially like some something in the UK before we start looking internationally again. I think that we will always, you know, we have ambition to like to, to be a bit more but at the same time my ambition as managing director is to make Gracia Club 45 Dean Street as good as it possibly can be and to make sure that that never changes and I think that's super important you know for us you know for us to be a family to be a home for people we can't make too many of those without it feeling not like a home and not like a family so there's a balance to be had there and, and we can't sort of forget the fact that Groucho is people's homes and, and we want to make sure that exists wherever you walk into it. So if it was in New York, we'd have to have that same feeling. And so it's it's key to find the right members in the right places, um, the right kind of member so that we would sort of, because at the end of the day, Groucho Club isn't a building, it's people. We've got an unbelievable club because we've got an incredible bunch of members who are just, you know, the best you could possibly imagine. So, you know, for us to open anywhere, we need to find more of those in a place where we'd like to open our club. I think that um, you, you once said to me about the Podge lunches because you'd met the people from digital and design and sport. And but you once said the, the, the pre-approval process that has already been done because the fact they're in the room they're the sort of people you would value as members so exactly. it, does that still apply in the yeah. pandemic well, I, you know i think i've said this to you before but I, I believe like you know if if you were the Groucho, if podger is the Groucho club then you know fills the committee <laughs> but you know you've got and i think what i love about it is like you you bring people together from the same industries whether it's design or sport or wherever and they all come together in one room a bit like the club and your rule about like you know our rule of like would you sit next to the person at the bar you've got a rule would i want to sit next to this person and have lunch with them and you know you wouldn't invite them to the lunch if you didn't think that that'd be somebody that people would want to sit next to for lunch so we have exactly the same sort of um ideas about how you bring people together um you know yours is over a lunch and and ours is over a bit longer than that but you know they're both you know they're so the same and therefore if there's somebody that you think is a brilliant podge lunch guest then they normally translate into perfect Groucho members and and having you know Phil who's you know you know as good a Groucho member as you possibly could have yeah. to put somebody forward we know that they're going to be brilliant and they always on have basis been. on that basis we need to get Dan in <laughs> so on that basis you'll never <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was brilliant Jeff we really enjoyed that uh, fantastic so thank you very much for giving up your time this afternoon. I, I saw you waving at someone. Someone's probably trying to get your attention as MD, aren't they? Yeah, they are, yeah. Actually, Aga just walked in and I'm like, give me a minute, give me a minute. Yeah, tell tell Aga that we apologise for keeping you, but sure. thank you very much. Thanks, thank you both. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Lovely to meet you. Thank you for tuning in to the Wonderful People podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Wonderful Creative Agency. Find out more at thewonderful.co.uk.